0: From the Cairo Radio Newsroom in Seattle, I'm Dave Ross, and these are the Ross Files. <laughs> Whistleblowers have been in the news, and uh, the timing couldn't be better for Tom Muller's book, Crisis of Conscience Whistleblowing in an Age of Fraud. This book is over 500 pages. How did you time it to coincide with the Trump whistleblower, Tom? <laughs>
1: Uh, there's a famous ball player from the 1930s who said, I'd rather be lucky than good. And I'll take both, but certainly luck played a major part in this. I've been working on it for almost seven years, and uh, yeah. the publication is fortuitous, to say the least.
0: Yeah, I get, I mean, you how many whistleblowers did you talk to for this? Over 200
1: and over 1,000 experts in various fields uh, around whistleblowing, prosecutors and social psychologists, and others. Um, So it was a long, slow-developing play.
0: I'm going to cut straight to page uh, 515, where you say that um, the Department of Justice and the FBI has a distorted perception of justice when it comes to whistleblowers involved in national security. Tell me what you mean there.
1: Uh, I mean simply that um, when things are revealed um, to the American public, Uh, in order to inform them of very important decisions uh, and actions and crimes that have been committed on their dime and on their watch, but without their consent. Um, The people who do that, um, national security whistleblowers, are not given the chance to explain in court or in the public um, why they did what they did. There is no national security whistleblower public interest defense in court. Um, so the the use of the Espionage Act to silence these people is simply a blunt weapon to intimidate and to silence, not to allow a debate about things like uh, warrantless wiretapping or torture or uh, you know, extraordinary rendition or drone warfare or, while well, we're at it, two illegitimate illegal wars that were done with our money and, again, in our name but not with our consent. So it's impossible to get a fair trial in America today if you break a law which by definition you do when you release classified information in order to serve a higher purpose, which is what whistleblowers have done since Daniel Ellsberg.
0: Yeah, so are we talking about people who tried to blow the whistle on the Iraq war before we got involved?
1: We're talking about a a range of different people who did or did not blow the whistle, um, but quite often their whistleblowing was ineffective and wasn't heard properly because they were shut down immediately. Um, One example that comes to mind and really the cause of Edward Snowden's deciding to go to the press and outside the country uh, were five whistleblowers uh, in or associated with the, uh, the NSA who revealed not only a massive waste of public funds uh, in the NSA, but a resulting um, breakdown in our national security that the, in their professional opinion, and we're talking about 150 years of professional experience in, in Intel, mm-hmm. in their professional opinion, actually facilitated the terror attacks of 9-11. So serious business. Really? They reported these. These five people, Bill Binney, Tom Drake, and others, reported this through channels. They went to the inspector general of the Department of Defense and made a whistleblower report. And they went through channels, they followed all the procedures. Well, they were handed over to the FBI, who kicked in their doors, who pointed guns at their faces, who subjected them to an extended uh, judicial retaliation uh, and and ruined their careers. And their message really got swallowed up in in this witch hunt around them and their personalities. Uh-huh. So their there are witch hunts.
0: Uh, and you're saying that these guys could have alerted the, uh, the FBI to 9-11?
1: Um, in their professional opinion, and we're talking about longtime NSA members, the decision to defund Thin Thread, which was their surveillance system that would have caught, in their professional opinion, in fact, after the fact, did catch, identify all of the 9-11 attackers, mm-hmm. and to fund this massive, massive river of money called Trailblazer, which was um, General Michael Hayden's, the head of the NSA's baby, um, and his vision for the NSA, but cost Uh, over eight billion dollars and never produced an ounce of useful intel. In their view, that decision actually compromised our ability to catch the 9-11 terrorists. And after the fact, as I said, they used ThinThread, their program, as a test bed to test the data that was coming in. And in their view, again, not mine, in their professional opinion, it caught every single one of the 9-11 attackers. So not only was this a massive waste of funds, but it also compromised our ability to stop terrorists.
0: I never heard a thing about that.
1: Exactly. Because they were shut down. They were terrorized. They were they were s- subjected to a one-way kind of pseudo-trial in which they were not allowed even to discuss why they'd done what they'd done.
0: Are they allowed to talk now?
1: They are. And I, you know, I've talked with them all uh, extensively in my book. And I chose to write about their case because it's a perfect example, A, of what can go wrong when you have excessive secrecy, and a very one-sided use of the Espionage Act, but two, I think it explains pretty effectively why Edward Snowden and others since have decided not to go through channels. They saw what happened to these long-time, career, very conservative, right-wing, short-haircut, salute kind of people uh, who followed the protocol. They went through channels, and they got crushed, and their message got lost. So he said, no, nope, that's not going to happen to me. I have to do it another, another way, so we went to the press.
0: Has the NSA gone back to the old system, or are they still with the one that's that you feel is ineffective?
1: It, we're definitely still in, in in a situation of complete, almost complete ineffectiveness when it comes to protections for national security whistleblowers. There really aren't any official protections. This particular case with the Ukraine whistleblowers is, I think, an exception that proves the rule. In this particular case, everyone so far that I can see has, has pretty much played it straight. I mean, the, this person, really these people, it's a group of whistleblowers that's surfacing slowly, um, went to the um, Intel community inspector general and filed in a report. That inspector general did, a, did an investigation to make sure that the, report, the whistleblower report was credible and urgent, um, undoubtedly in, interviewing a number of people um, mentioned anonymously in this report and uh, and then passed it or tried to pass it to Congress. There was then a delay um, because of political questions and consulting, really unnecessary consulting with the White House and with the Department of Justice. But in the end, that whistleblower complaint did get passed to Congress. I think, you know, two Trump appointees, the inspector general and his boss, both played it straight. But yeah. in the vast majority of cases, those whistleblower complaints are swallowed up. And the whistleblowers themselves, like the NSA five, become targets rather than protected sources.
0: But now you you have me thinking here, if the NSA has this this culture of ruthlessly suppressing whistleblowers, could there be a reason they allowed this one to go through? Could they have an agenda, too? Because Trump has long claimed that the deep state is out to get him.
1: Right. Well, there are two uh, narratives about this kind of whistleblowing, um, and and they're both interesting. I mean, Trump says this is a spy and a traitor, and we should run them out, uh, and his allies do too. And then there is a, a school of thought, including a number of people I consulted for my book, who says, you know, these are the spy masters getting their revenge. This is a palace coup, and this whistleblower is is a puppet of mm-hmm. their, um, or, or a willing participant in their schemes. Both of those narratives completely miss the point that the The identity and the motivations of a whistleblower are before the law totally irrelevant. We should not care who these people are, what they had for breakfast, what their sexual orientation is. All we need to know are the facts, ma'am. You know, they have laid out. This person has laid out nine pages of facts. The Congress needs to go through those facts, I you know, verify or 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 deny them. If they're wrong, this person needs to be punished. (laughs) Uh, But if they're right. Uh, then we need to proceed um, on on assumption that there's been violations of law and, and the Constitution. Who did this and why are really not a question we need to be asking.
0: The uh, president, of course, is insisting on knowing who this whistleblower is. Do you think the system will work and will protect him?
1: Very tricky. Um, the reason that anonymity is promised to someone who comes forward on the condition of anonymity is because in the vast majority of cases, someone who... Who does come out in the open um, commits career suicide. They never work again. Uh, so, uh, I, 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 on the other hand, for this person to testify before Congress, even in an undisclosed site with a garbled voice, is going to be a very tricky, very yeah. tricky act to, to 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 pull off. And frankly, it is important that they testify. It's very important because the whistleblower complaint that they submitted is really only a kind of a road map for investigators to follow up on and get specific people and, and, and question them, get specific documents and subpoena them. So it'll be tough. I'm afraid that in the end, their identity will be known. Now, it may be, Dave, that, the, uh, that they do get a softer landing um, in their agency than other national security whistleblowers because, as we've said, their message is consonant with the former and current leadership of, of the NSA, of the FBI, and, and yeah. of other intelligence um, agencies.
0: They 're not whistleblowing on the nsa they 're whistleblowing on the president
1: that's correct that's correct and that's a, that's a, there's a big difference there uh, but you know it, it, every public servant, including people in the intelligence community, have a right and a duty uh, to call out wrongdoing wherever they see it now many times people turn a blind eye because their boss is doing it and so on but you know this is a this is a duty and and in my experience with interviewing many, many whistleblowers in, in national security. You know, a lot of these people really take that duty seriously. They are not political players. They are—they're concerned about the integrity of the U.S. De- yeah. You know, national well. That's well,
0: well. That's good. But if the organization they work for is corrupt, then that's a problem. So let's forget Trump for a moment. If we're looking at the NSA as it exists today, is it the old uh, pre-9/11 NSA that is uh, ruthlessly suppressing anybody who disagrees with its methods and and therefore missed? <laughs> A, a huge attack in the United States, or have they learned from that?
1: I think there have been very, very few, if any, meaningful reforms. Um, the, the current inspector general um, of, of the intelligence community is a straight shooter, and there are several people who have spoken out about these problems, but I think structural reforms in an agency which prides itself, A, on secrecy, and B, on, um, uh, 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 frankly, having an enormous uh, access to other people's money, to tax money. Those are two of the predictors that in my book I found again and again to, to predict whistleblowing activity, uh, because they're also predictors of wrongdoing. Uh, when you're not accountable to anybody and you have an enormous pile of cash in front of you, bad things tend to happen.
0: So Edward Snowden, traitor or patriot?
1: Patriot, unquestionably. unquestionably. Um, As I explained, the reason he did what he did was he knew very well that he was consigning himself to perhaps probably permanently uh, a life in limbo or in jail. He knew that very well. He saw um, things that we need to know about, we as American citizens need to know about, very serious things, and he called them out at great risk to himself. Um, He also has not caused, despite all of the talk, Um, any harm to anybody. If we, uh, Daniel Ellsberg himself told me, if Edward Snowden had caused harm to a single person with his disclosures, that person's headless corpse would be on the front page of the New York Times tomorrow. And I think this is absolutely true. And in fact, Daniel Ellsberg himself, in the day when he released the Pentagon Papers, people said he's caused death of soldiers in the field, he's caused immense harm to national security. That was all nonsense. Later, all of those officials have, have recanted and said, no, no, the Pentagon Papers were just history. They didn't do any harm to anybody. But we were telling the Supreme Court that Daniel Ellsberg had compromised national security. This is a standard narrative.
0: So in, in doing all this research and talking to over 200 whistleblowers, is there anything you can disclose to us that we are being lied to about today?
1: <laughs> uh, where do I start? <laughs> yes, um, in every industry that I looked at, and we're talking healthcare, we're talking um, nuclear cleanup and the Department of Energy, we're talking the, obviously the military, um, big pharma, and on and on and on. Wherever there are major corporations, either contractors or, or multinationals, that dominate the industry, and this is the vast majority of industries in America, they have pretty well captured their regulators. And since we, the Supreme Court has, in all its wisdom, told us that, uh, that, that money is speech and corporations are people, um, the, their outsized power to influence laws and regulations and simply be above the law, With legal settlements means that, uh, unfortunately, we really are subject to a massive amount of wrongdoing. And in my book, uh, uh, as some one reviewer said, hey, this isn't exactly a feel good read here. Um, I, I, you know, the, the whistleblowers are impressive. The problems that they are facing gives you the sense that we're winning battles. They win battles, but we're losing the war.
0: Is there besides you, is there anybody trying to take action to correct this?
1: Yes, there are a number of really, really good organizations, very committed. In Seattle, there's Hanford Challenge and and a number of, of allies who are fighting to get the word out about Hanford and about all that's going on. The billions of dollars that are being wasted and the huge environmental dangers that we face in Washington, Government Accountability Project, Project on Government Oversight, peer... Crew and a number of other wonderful nonprofits who are doing the work um, of millions, really, um, on a shoestring. Um, I've spent a lot of time with these people and been extremely impressed by their ability with very few resources. And let me tell you, they need more if we want our republic to survive, um, to, to, to do a world of good for whistleblowers, for whistleblower laws, but also just for ethics in general. Um, One of the things I've heard again and again from whistleblowers is I hate the word whistleblower. I was just doing my job. And I think that's a fair statement. We shouldn't need people, individuals to step forward and risk everything and often lose everything in order to right wrongs that should be fixed internally.
0: Yeah. And considering the the downside, if you're not doing it for ethical reasons or or to save your immortal soul, why why else (laughs) would you why else would you do it?
1: Why else would you do it? It's a very bad business model. There are critics of whistleblowers who say, oh, yeah, they're just mercenaries. They're going for the cash, the quick, quick cash. Well, I guarantee you the best way to make money is just to hunker down and get with the program. Continue the fraud scheme and don't question anything. And then you will have a long and happy career and your stock options will vest in time and your health care will be taken care of, these people, the whistleblowers, are cut off at the knees the minute they open their mouth. They're not employed at their at their organization anymore. But most sinister of all, they are permanently blackballed in their industry, which makes me feel, well, are we as a society okay with industries acting basically like cartels or RICO vehicles uh, to blackball people because they've told the truth? This is a bad sign for me um, about general level of ethics. In business.
0: You know, we have employees of some pretty big companies listening to us now here in Seattle between Amazon, Microsoft, and of course uh, Boeing. What advice would you have for somebody who says, uh, who's been sitting on something that they really feel needs to be disclosed? Is there any advice you can give them?
1: Uh, yes. The first thing is get a lawyer. Uh, and then the second thing is get a good lawyer. Uh, you know, it's absolutely essential. There's a maze of whistleblower laws. It's a real mosaic of different uh, rules, some contradictory between the two. So a really good legal counsel will be able to, um, to, to help you navigate that minefield and, and not step on a mine. Um, going in alone is very, very risky. Now, having said that, there are some very powerful laws um, that allow people to, uh, sometimes anonymously and sometimes um, in their own name. To, to bring suit um, against their corporations. And again, it, it's, it, in many cases, good companies fix problems internally. Those aren't the subject of my book because no companies would tell me about those cases. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I know that in many cases someone said, hey, wait, this is broken and their boss said, yep, better fix it and it went away. And it didn't become a whistleblower drama. But when, when someone is in a big corporation or a small corporation and they realize, wait a second, what we're doing here is systemically wrong um, there's a whole playbook that you really need to follow, and organizations like Hanford Challenge, uh, if you're in the, the Department of Energy space, or GAP and Pogo, if if, if you're elsewhere, or very good um, law firms, uh, the, it, both in Seattle and uh, Cohen Cone and Colapinto in Washington. There are a number of really good law firms that can really uh, guide you uh, with with decades of experience in. How to how to be a successful whistleblower?
0: And what's your advice to CEOs? Because while they may think it's a good thing to punish a whistleblower to discourage whistleblowing, doesn't it come to come back to bite them in the ass eventually? I think Boeing is kind of learning that now.
1: Yes, I think Boeing is a perfect example. I, my advice to CEOs would be put aside your. Of uh, uh, false pride or or your ego for a second and think these people who are complaining who are warning, some of them will be wrong, some of them will be crackpots, that's human nature. Some of them are telling you important information that if you capture it early and leverage it, it can be in immense value to your firm. Not only can you avoid disasters, but you can actually grow in positive ways. Um, there's a professor uh, at the George Washington University in Was- the other Washington, Washington, D.C., Kyle Welch, who's done fascinating research with enorm- enormous anonymized data sets from corporations that show there's a direct correlation between the use of an anonymous whistleblower hotline and the health, economic, legal, and otherwise of a corporation. So the more huh. whistleblowing goes on in a, in a structure, in an institution the healthier that environment is because they're able to air their concerns and work them out. Um, so CEOs and other leaders really should be capturing that data and not fighting it as if they were traitors.
0: So cultivating a, a culture of uh, encouraging whistleblowing could actually be good for the bottom line?
1: Absolutely, 100%. And this has been shown time and time again that if you are, if you are paying attention to the internal voices um, of your of your concerned uh, and and maybe not go along to get along personalities in your firm, you are taking a big step towards keeping yourself out of trouble and maybe again um, learning valuable lessons for to improve your your business of course you're also saving perhaps billions of dollars in fines and, and the kind of reputational disaster that Boeing is hitting right now if they had listened to those twelve anonymous whistleblowers who called. The anonymous whistle FAA whistleblower hotline, if those people had been heard early on, um, this whole disaster might not have happened
0: when when was Boeing when did Boeing get the first indication that something may have been wrong with that system?
1: the uh, reports that I have heard indicate that in the summer of two thousand and eighteen um, about a dozen um, employees of Boeing used the FAA anonymous whistleblower hotline to service concerns about the navigation system that they were building and about the FAA regulators who were uh, not properly trained and were perhaps too cozy with Boeing. Now um, you'll note that this procedure means they were reporting through channels, here we are again, to the very people who were part of the problem they were reporting. The FAA was probably not particularly incentivized to air their dirty laundry if the part of the concern was that their own uh, regulators were not properly trained. So it was a it was a whistleblower channel that was not surfaced um, to the level that it needed to be. No one, as I know, as far as I know, went public and called or, or spoke with the board of Boeing or called the New York Times or called the FBI. Uh, if they'd done so, you know, right now we probably celebrate them as heroes. But within their industry, uh, time and time again, I've seen it within their industry and certainly at Boeing, they would have been treated as traitors and almost certainly their careers would have been over.
0: And, and they they came forward before the crashes?
1: Oh, yes, months before.
0: Uh, and what, what exactly did they warn about?
1: They warned um, that the uh, software, the flight control system that they were working on, had serious flaws, um, technical flaws, that in certain specific instances could cause a crash. Uh, and they also warned that the FAA regulators, who were supposedly riding herd on the, the process of creating this uh, navigation system, were not properly trained Um, And therefore, we're not able to to recognize the dangers until after they became deadly.
0: Tom Muller, the author of Crisis of Conscience, Whistleblowing in an Age of Fraud. Tom, thank you very much. Thank you, Dave. Remember that when there's a longer version of the interviews on Seattle's Morning News, you can usually find it right here in the original form, unconstrained by the limitations of a live broadcast and... You can subscribe so that when someone says, did you hear what was on Seattle's Morning News? You can say, not only that, I heard the part that wasn't on Seattle's Morning News. So my advice is to subscribe. And then when we talk to an author, a politician, an entrepreneur, an artist, a scientist, a teacher, a journalist, a celebrity, you'll hear every word. I'm Dave Ross. Thanks for tuning in.